What's up, Revolution? One more time. You guys are weak. What's up, Revolution? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Who was that? Was that Holly? That was impressive. Oh, I'm not even mad. That was awesome. All right, so I am super glad to be here. Um, tonight we're starting a new sermon series um, just for the month of December. We're going to be going through and taking a, a pause with Luke. We'll be coming back to that in January, but we're going to start looking at Jesus and the different facets of Jesus as our Savior. And, and tonight we're going to be looking at how Jesus is the Savior that we needed. Um, and we're going to be taking a look at why we need Jesus so badly. Some of you guys maybe have heard this stuff before, but I doubt that you've thought about it on this deep of a level. We're going to be talking about the destructive power of sin and how it just devastates everything around us and how Jesus is the only thing that's going to set us free from that kind of power. Um, but in light of, of this sermon, I was thinking this week about um, like something to say, right? Because intros, like, believe it or not, like starting out the sermon is the hardest, weirdest, most uncomfortable thing that I have to do. You guys are terrifying. You don't realize it. You guys are really scary. Um, but I was thinking, and, and I remembered something that was kind of traumatic for me being uh, younger. I was seven years old, um, and people like pool parties, right? Like, yeah, like some people like pool parties. I don't like pool parties because like, I look like Chewbacca when I take my shirt off. And I don't want to see that, so I know you don't want to see that, so I don't go to pool parties. Uh, not good, not good, not good. Uh, but when I was seven, I wasn't hairy yet. Um, probably still hairier than other seven-year-olds, but not, not so hairy. Um, and I was, I was pumped. Not only was this a pool party, man, and I was little and I loved swimming, but this was a birthday party and a pool party. Like, you have hit the freaking jackpot of the first grade whenever you get to combine those two things. Um, so I'm pretty stoked. We're going to the Minford pool. Some of you guys didn't know Minford used to have a pool. Yeah, that's good times. I'm, I don't remember the specifics, but I imagine that it was fairly white trashy. There were probably empty cans of Budweiser rolling around in the water. Some of you don't think that's funny and that's okay. Minford is super redneck. Uh, but we're at the Minford pool and, uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm stupid. And I get in the pool, and I'm swimming, and we're having a good time, and I'm in the shallow end, and I get really close to the edge, and I start edging my way down to the deep end. And I'm sure my mother told me, David, you know, be careful. Um, I'm seven. I'm not the strongest swimmer yet. I actually remember as I get closer to the deep end, another kid a little bit older than me was like, hey, dude, you better, like, be careful, man. The water's a lot deeper. And I was like, ah, you don't know me. I'm a fish. Get out of my face. I know, what, I know what's up. Um, so I, I keep going further, and I get to the deep end, and I kick off really hard. And everything's cool for a minute. Everything's cool for like 30 seconds, right? I'm getting it. And then all of a sudden I realize, man, this is a lot more tiring than I originally thought it was going to be. And I go down and I go under and I bob and I go under again and I bob and I'm too close to get back. I'm too far away from the edge to get back and I'm drowning. And I had, I don't think I really understood that like, hey, dude, like you can die right now because I didn't cry out for help. I just flailed. I didn't know what to do. And then, so help me God, this is a fact. I see a red dress and red shoes break through the water. My mom, full gear. She was not staying for the party. She had other things to do, full makeup, hair done, everything. She was watching me the whole time. I didn't know she was watching me. I didn't realize how bad of a, how bad of a spot that I was in that I could die, but she knew exactly what was going on, and she saved me. She jumped in the water. She didn't care. She didn't think about anything other than I want my son to not die. <laughs> so she hopped in and she, and she saved me. But against all reason, 
I did what I shouldn't have done. People had warned me not to, but my mom didn't care. She still rescued me anyway. And she's a good mom. She loves me, and I really appreciate it. She's not here this evening, and I miss her dearly. But what she did for me is what God did with Jesus. It's exactly, it's it's, it's on a way bigger scale, but we weren't crying for help, right? We're in open rebellion before we know Jesus. We could care less about pleasing God, and yet, in spite of how bad we are, God sent Jesus. It's the same thing. Um, And we all need a Savior in Jesus. And this is the single greatest realization that we can come to, is that you're desperately wicked and that you're in need of a Savior, and you need help, and that Jesus is that guy. But we don't treat it that way. We don't treat that beautiful gospel truth as if it's truth. It's something that we we break out on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings for us, and then we shelve it Monday through Saturday, and then we break it back out, and it's something we internalize, and we don't really want to tell other people, and we don't think about what we're saved from every day. We don't think about the destructive power of sin, and we're definitely not being brave enough to tell other people this truth that they deserve hell for their rebellion against God, but Jesus is the way out. We definitely don't have the courage to do that most of the time. And if you think I'm lying, I want you to ask yourself this question. How many people would you talk about Jesus to this week? I drop the ball too on this sometimes, but I'm saying we don't treat this truth like it's the most important thing that we we can know. But it's my hope tonight that we can walk away understanding just what we've been saved from, just understanding how strong sin's power was over us and how much it just infects everything around us and how badly that we need Jesus to save us. And I hope that we can find the courage to tell people whenever we leave. That's my goal. But tonight we're going to be in Genesis, right? Great way to start the Christmas season at the beginning of the Bible. Some of you thought I was going to Luke, and you're foolish. That's not what we're doing. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis. Uh, If you want to go to Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be in chapter 2 and 3 tonight. You can go there and there's blue Bibles if you want, or it's going to be up here behind me on the projector. Um, By the way, those Bibles, if you've never been here before, or the Bible you have is really hard to understand, take one of those with you. That's free. You're not stealing. We want you to take it home. Uh, But we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 first. And it says, The Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. All right, so a little bit of background for those of you who don't know uh, a whole lot about the book of Genesis or or really weren't raised in church. That's totally cool. Um, I'll I'll get you up to speed. God's made everything. He's made it, and he's called it good. Now, he's made uh, man, too. He's made Adam. He's getting ready to make Eve and he gives Adam one command. Don't eat the fruit on this tree, right? <laughs> like that's, it's so simple. Like Adam's job after, after God made Eve was sleep with your wife, have dominion over the earth, and that's it. And don't eat the fruit, right? Like it doesn't get much easier than that. And no one else thinks that that is like incredibly funny to me because that's, that's it. And he's, we're going to see that he screws it up really, 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 really bad. All right, so Genesis 3, 1 through 6, we're going to hop. Now it says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course you may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, both knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. 
She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. All right, so real quick, just so you guys know, this is not a trivial command. This goes a lot deeper than that. It's not about just fruit. All right, what, what this is, is God gives a, a, just a really true, obviously God said it, so it's true, um, just this fact, obedience equals life, disobedience equals death. If you obey me and don't eat of the fruit, you'll live. If you eat and disobey, you surely will die. And then when presented with the choice to rebel against God or be obedient to God, Adam and Eve both sinned. They had a choice and they chose to rebel. Now we skip on down to Genesis three twenty-two and 23. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. All right, so God keeps good on his promise. He's, here, here's basically what this looks like. God gives a command, and he says, here's the law. Don't do this. Here's going to be the punishment. If you break the law, you will die. Then we see man commits crime, and then God keeps good on his promise of justice and judgment, and he, he, he puts the curse of death on Adam and Eve. Now, some of you are probably wondering, what does this have to do with me, right? Two idiots screwed up, and they had to die. Big deal, right? It happens all the time. Um, it is a big deal, right? This is a really, really big deal. This affects you a lot more than you understand. Uh, Romans 5.12, Paul writes, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We sinned with Adam. Right? There's a couple different ways you can look at this. Either um, we inherited Adam and Eve's curse of death and spiritual damnation. Either we inherited it that way. Um, kind of like spiritual genetics, if you will. Two sinners can't make anything but another sinner and on and on and on until it gets to us. Or there's this, and this is where I tend to land. Um, Adam is the representative of mankind. That Adam, in every way, shape, and form represented how we act, what we desire, and especially how when given the chance to rebel against God or obey God, we will rebel every time. Apart from Jesus, that's who we are. We're rebels, and Adam represented us, kind of like a federal head, whatever the federal government does, America did. Same thing there. We are like Adam in that, rep- or in that way, so we sinned with him. So we rebel, and death is the penalty. We, we want to be God. And you might not think that you do, but whenever you sin, what you're saying is, God doesn't have the right to tell me what to do. I want to be like God. I want to make my own rules. I want to be the creator. I want to be the commander. And you can't. That's, that's treason against the king of the universe. That's cosmic treason. Right, so because of rebellion, sin entered the world. Because of rebellion, rebellion is sin. Sin entered into everything. So the world sucks. Amen? No, no, you guys aren't willing to go there with me? The world sucks, dude. It's cold outside. It gets too hot, right? <laughs> like, it didn't always suck. It was good. God made it, and, and it was good, and I totally trusted his judgment on that. Whatever he says was good. He even feels like 100 degrees. Uh, but I tend to think that the world is probably sunny and 70. That's, that's what I tend to think. That's why I wear shorts year-round. Some people are like, why do you wear shorts whenever it gets so cold? And I'll tell you why. It's an expectation of Jesus to come back and right this sinful hole that we live in, right? And I hate pants, 
Those are the two reasons why I wear shorts year-round, no matter how cold it gets. All right? But what I'm saying is the world sucks. The world is fallen. Sin has tainted everything in creation. And that's because we rebelled and creation followed suit. God had ordered things. It was God, mankind, and then all of the rest of creation. The rest of creation sees us sin against God and rebel against God. And they say, let's do what they do. They have dominion over us. They're our masters. Mankind is the highest link in the chain. Whatever they did, we will do. So now the world rebels against us. Think about what we're afraid of. I'm afraid of wild dogs. I'm afraid of dogs in general, to be totally real with you guys. I don't like dogs. Uh, I'm afraid of wild animals, right? Natural disasters. No one likes earthquakes. No one likes hurricanes. Sickness, right? Everyone's afraid of getting sick. No one wants to get cancer. No one wants to get, you know, all these different diseases and stuff. It's because every single thing down to the single-celled organisms that make us sick is in rebellion against us because we have rebelled against God. Sin has tainted everything. And it's kind of funny how we realize that we need a savior from this world too. Even if you're not a Christian, right? We have meteorologists trying to predict the weather, right? Richter scale thing, kind of like figuring out where earthquakes are going to go. I don't know how that works. Brady probably knows because he studies geology, I think, and all that stuff. I don't know anything about it. Uh, I, I dropped out of college. I'm not very smart. Um, we have that. We have medicine. We have doctors. We have shelter, right? Adam and Eve, I don't see anywhere in Genesis that said Adam and Eve lived in a house. They didn't have to worry about nature killing them, right? But we look for saviors from all of these things because nature is in rebellion too. And I think that's kind of ironic that we, at our core, know that we need something to save us already. But, you know, the destructive power of sin isn't just external. It's ruined us. It's physically ruined us. From the inside out, we are cursed. Since we sinned with Adam, we inherited the curse of physical death. Right? And this isn't the big death. This is the little death. Um, there's a much larger aspect to this curse that we're going to get to, and that's damnation. That's separation from God. But we have to endure physical death now because of sin. We, we were, this blew my mind. I, I knew it. As, like, I checked it off like my list of things I believe. But it hit me really hard this week. We were meant to live forever. We, it's, it's insane to think about, like, we were not meant to get old and get sick and break down and die. We were meant to live. And it goes hand in hand with that. We were meant to obey. There's life in obeying God, but Adam and Eve did not. Right? Death lies in rebellion and disobedience. And I'm going I'm to give you a freebie on this, um, just for you dudes or ladies who, who struggle with different sin. Um, trust God's commands. Like the Bible says over and over and over again, God's commands are true. God's commands are life-giving, that death lies in disobedience. So even if we don't understand, right? I used to not understand why God cared if I had sex with my girlfriend before I was married. Really didn't. I was like, I have no idea why that that matters. And the older I get, the more I'm starting to understand why that that totally matters. Um, And I wish that when I was younger, I would have listened to his commands. Not just with that, but with a whole lot of other things. So just a little freebie. Trust God's commands even if they don't make sense because you'll probably come to a point where they, they, they line up and you start to understand God better. But anyway, back to what we're talking about. Because of our rebellion, we break down, we get sick, we get old, and we die, and we know that we need a Savior from that too. You ever notice how vain people can be about getting old? Like they don't want that, they want to live forever. Who knows like the 80-year-old woman getting plastic surgery? It's like hanging a chandelier in a haunted house. <laughs> it is. It really is. It's terrible, right? Like vain, like dudes are wearing toupees, people getting plastic surgery. No one wants to get sick. We, keep, we have surgery to keep us going. 
right? Even if your quality of life goes down, you still don't want to die. So we're always looking for something to save us from physical death. Right? And still yet, though, sin goes deeper than nature and just physical death. It affects everything that we do. It affects everything that we do and everything that we are at our core. You know, from birth, we're in open rebellion against God because we do not know God. David wrote in Psalms, I was conceived a sinner. From the moment sperm met egg, I was in rebellion to God. And, and you might not think about it like that, that sin ruins everything that we are and every interaction that we have. But it becomes more apparent as we grow older. Right, let's, just, let's just look at some things that, uh, that, that God commands us um, to not do or to do. He, um, he tells us, don't covet. Right? Don't be discontented. Be content with your situation. Uh, don't hate people. Don't be greedy. Be open-handed with your resources. Don't be apathetic to people around you, but actually strive to better those around you. Right? So let's just take a look at this here. We disobey those things a lot. Those are, those are the huge things that we disobey all the time. Well, whenever we become discontented with our situations and we want things that we don't have, um, we see theft, we see things like that. Uh, I personally, I see infidelity and adultery whenever people become discontented with their marriage. Right? They, the grass is always greener, but God tells you to be content with what you've been given. Right? We see hatred whenever we disobey God's commands to love people. We see bigotry, we see racism, we see homophobia, we see violence, we see murder. God tells us not to be greedy, and we see theft, and we see war, because greedy powers that be want more. We see poverty, because people don't care about people that have less around them. God tells us not to be apathetic, and while we're apathetic and don't care about the people around us, we see oppression running rampant the homeless, with different groups, people being oppressed day in and day out, and no one wants to lend them a hand to help. Sin taints everything. Every problem that we have in this life can be traced back to sin entering the world. Sin destroys relationships, it destroys families, it destroys nations and people, and it turns us into slaves. We want to do our will, and we become slaves to our own self-destructive rebellion. There's life in God's commands, but we don't care. We just keep rebelling and rebelling, and rebellion leads to death. It leads to God's justice. He always makes good on his judgment, and this is spiritual death. This is hell for our cosmic treason. The king of the universe has told us not to do or to positively go do something, and we say no. We give him the finger, spit in his face, and say, I'm going to keep doing my own thing. So we deserve hell. Like, I hope you guys understand that. Like, you deserve it. That's justice. But some people here will say, I'm not that bad. Right? My, like, if you have, uh, like, a, my aunt's not a Christian. Some people would say, you know, my aunt's not bad, or my grandparents aren't that bad, or my sister's not that bad. They don't really deserve hell. And I'm here to tell you, your pathetic standards don't matter. Your standards of who deserves hell and who doesn't. Everyone's cool with Adolf Hitler going to hell, but no one else is like, no one else really deserves hell. Like Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and people like that deserve hell, but no one else for some reason. Our standards don't matter. Being a good citizen, taking care of your family, doing community service, working a job, being sober, all of that does not matter. Those are standards that we've created that we define good people by. But God's standard is perfect obedience, and you don't match up, and I don't match up. He says, disobey me one time and you deserve the death penalty, is what he told Adam and Eve. And he kept good on his promise. 
Now, some people say, I still don't think I'm that bad. You still think I'm lying? Go with me on this. Let's replay your last week's thoughts. And let's hold it up against don't hate. Don't desire ill, Ill for things, like Ill things to happen to people. Let's hold it up against greed. Let's hold it up against apathy. We all become guilty of something, especially whenever we compare ourselves to an all-holy God. You still don't believe me? Let me ask you this. I posed this uh, this week at work because someone told me that they thought people were good. And I don't think people are good at their core. I think apart from Jesus Christ, everyone's a sinner, and it's only a matter of time or the grace of God that doesn't keep you from becoming another Adolf Hitler. We're wicked. So let me, let me pose this question to you. In your life so far, I'm only 22 and I can say yes to this, would you have killed somebody already if you knew there was no consequence and you can get away with it? If there was no law keeping you from stealing, there was no law keeping you from killing somebody, there was no law keeping you from, from just anything, would you have done it already? Because I would have. I would be a murderer if I knew I could have got away with it a few years ago. I know I'm not the only one in here because I know I'm relatively normal. You're wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our hearts are so wicked that we cannot fathom how bad we are. Paul writes in Romans 8 that our sinful nature from birth is hostile to God and we can never please God, that we are God-haters from the moment that we are conceived. And then 1 John says that if you don't think that you're a sinner and you don't think that you deserve this, that you make God a liar. This is how bad that we actually are at our core. And there is no way for us to save ourselves whatsoever. We deserve no savior. We deserve no leniency from God. Even if we vow today to go out and be obedient, it does not erase the fact that we have already all sinned. Right? It's, it's the thing I talked about a couple weeks ago. Community service, like 150,000 hours of community service will not undo the fact that you are a murderer at your heart. It does not undo a conviction. We deserve nothing but justice and judgment from God, and it must be executed because God is good. And in order for him to be good, he must have perfect justice. Someone must pay for sin. But before God, and hear me, before God executes justice and judgment, he always shows us mercy. He always shows us mercy. Adam and Eve's expulsion from the garden was mercy. I hadn't considered this until this week. They had sinned. They deserved death. They were separated from God spiritually. And God said, I don't want them to eat of the tree of life and live forever. Get them out of here. Because he did not want them to live forever in their damned, cursed state. It was an act of mercy. God wanted them to live, be reconciled to him, die temporarily, and then live with him forever in right standing. That's what God wanted for them. So his justice was an act of mercy because he always shows us mercy before he executes his final judgment. And he wants that for us. He doesn't want us to live forever in our damned, cursed, wicked state. He wants us to be reconciled, and that's why we celebrate this month. You know, the Savior that we do not deserve that we were not asking for because we hate God from birth. We didn't want to be reconciled to him. Just like I was drowning and I didn't yell for help. That's us. We don't deserve it. We didn't ask for him. But God sent Jesus 
to earth for us. Jesus was born. Jesus came to earth to be our escape from justice and wrath by taking it for us. That's what we celebrate. And justice must be served. Like I said, God has no leniency for sin. So Jesus comes and he is sinless and he deserves nothing but good. But he takes all of our sin on himself and he suffers God's wrath and death on the cross. He suffers everything that we deserve for our wickedness. He takes all of our wicked sinful desires and all of our wicked sinful actions and he pays for them. That's the single most beautiful thing I've ever heard except he came back from the dead three days later, proving that God accepted his payment for our sin. This Savior that we needed, justice had to be thrown down on somebody, and Jesus stepped in and said, I'll take it for them because I love them and I want to show them mercy. And God accepted it. We need Jesus. There is no escape from justice without Jesus. There is no escape from God's wrath without Jesus. But he's taken it in your place if you will just trust him. If you will trust that what he did on the cross, suffering God's wrath, was for you. If you will trust that that's true, you owe God nothing. Jesus will actually stand before God whenever you die, in between you and God and say, He's, I've paid for everything that he did. I paid for everything she did. I paid for all of their mistakes, all of their rebellion, all of their hatred. I paid for it. And God will judge you based off of Jesus' perfection, not your own wicked sinfulness. So if you guys want to know more, if, if this is hitting a note with any of you guys and, and you want to know more, you want someone to pray with you, come see me after the service. Come see a couple of people over here by the couches during worship. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Change your thinking. Acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Begin to follow him. And I'll tell you why. Jesus promises to return. He promises to return in judgment and justice for the people who rejected him, but he promises to come back in restoration and peace for his people. Don't fear his return. Don't fear death. Don't fear God anymore. Come and repent. Believe in Jesus. He is the Savior. But why did I tell you guys all this? What's the, what's the, what's the big idea behind all this? A lot of you knew this stuff already. All right, follow me on this. All people sin. We've inherited the curse. We all stand condemned to hell apart from Jesus. But Jesus paid for all people who would believe in him. So we all need Jesus to save us. Everyone. There is no other hope. There is nothing else that's going to take God's wrath for you. And something is going to have to take God's wrath, either you or Jesus. But are we declaring that truth to all the people that we know? Are we declaring that truth to anybody? Or do we treat this truth as optional, something that's internal, something that's for me? You know, I've been reconciled to God. Everyone else can figure it out on their own. It'll be all right. I don't want to make things awkward. I don't want to be the odd one out here. I don't want to make anyone mad. Everyone needs to know this. All people are commanded to repent or perish. That's the hard fact. But we, out of cowardice or lack of appreciation for Jesus or or lack of faith in Jesus or something, we don't tell people. We don't tell anyone. 
At least that tends to be the trend in Christianity anyway. I'll tell you what that's like too. That's like the house being on fire and you not even bothering to knock on anyone's doors and tell them to wake up, follow me, I'll show you the way out. We don't even knock on doors, man. I think it's pathetic. We're the only ones that know the exit. We're the only ones that know Jesus. And we won't tell people about him. So go wake up the house. Tell people this hard truth. Tell them that they're sinners. Tell them that apart from Jesus, they stand condemned to hell, but that there is escape in Jesus. That God loves them more than they could fully understand and that he desires reconciliation with them so much that he sent Jesus to die in their place. And I know it's scary. I, I, I know. I know it's, it's it, I get nervous, believe it or not. Um, I talk to people all the time. Um, but I still get nervous. It's, it's freaking awkward, all right? Like, let's level, let's like be real here for a minute. It's super awkward to tell someone about Jesus. Talk about religion at all in the United States is awkward anymore. But does it matter? Does it matter how nervous you are? Or what if I don't know what to say? Does that matter? You know the gospel, at least you do now, because I've explained it to you tonight. And if you need a refresher, please, I'll talk to you every day about it. You know the gospel. Tell people. It really doesn't matter that you get scared. It really doesn't matter that you get nervous. It really doesn't matter how awkward you might feel or awkward you might be. What really matters is being obedient to Jesus and warning people. This is the biggest command that Jesus gave us. It's the great commission to go make disciples of the nations, to go tell people that they're under God's wrath, but Jesus is their way out. And I'll tell you this too. You wouldn't know Jesus if someone didn't warn you. Think about that. I would not know Jesus if people were not willing to be awkward and uncomfortable and nervous and talk to me about Jesus. I would not know him. So put all that aside and go be obedient to your king. Tell people about this curse, but then tell them about this beautiful savior that has come to ransom them, that's come to buy them back from their sin, buy them back from God's wrath because he loves them. Do it boldly. Do it because you love people, because the greatest way that we can show someone we love them is to tell them the greatest truth that they could ever know. I would actually argue that if you don't tell people the good news of Jesus Christ, you don't love them. You can't. You can't love them and then watch them go to hell with no warning. Do it because time's running out. We don't know who's going to be alive tomorrow. We don't know who is going to... Talking to Rick Clark, it's, it has been the most enlightening thing. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen this evening. Tell people. But don't do it because I've, I've freaked you out. Don't do it because of anything that I've said, although I hope the Holy Spirit is convicting any of you guys that aren't telling people about Jesus because this is convicting for me because I dropped the ball on this too. I'm not pointing my finger at you guys. I know it may have came across that way. I'm not. I'm guilty of this. I drop the ball on this. I don't feel like being awkward sometimes. I get too nervous and I get scared and I back off whenever I shouldn't. But do this because you love Jesus. Do it because you understand that he is a savior that you did not deserve, but that God gave you anyway. That you were not searching for Jesus, but Jesus went searching for you and he called you out of your sin. Do it because you have gratitude for that. Do it because he is the king and the savior that's worthy of us being obedient no matter what the cost. Do it out of gratitude. But go do it, please. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, for the gospel of Jesus. The good news that we suck and that we sin and that we rebel, but that there's escape in Jesus. It's the single greatest truth that you've ever let us understand. God, I pray that we, we take this message and, and this, needed, this need that people have to know Jesus and, and we run with it. Pray that we understand it better and that we put our cowardice aside and tell people who Jesus is and what he did for them. Help us to not be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to not be afraid of the world, but to go out and and proclaim everything boldly because your Holy Spirit will empower us to do so. God, I pray we leave here with with a greater gratitude for who you are and what you did and just how badly that we did not deserve it, but how much of a curse we were under. Father, again, above all things, I thank you for Jesus dying in our place as a substitute for us. God, we're going to worship you because you deserve it, because there's nothing like you. There's nothing that loves us. There's no one who loves us more than you love us. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name.